Hi, this is Dr. Meg Hayworth, holistic psychologist and nutrition strategist, and you're listening to Get Well Soon podcast series, the show that explores how to heal yourself with food and the power of the mind. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Meg Hayworth, host of the Get Well Soon podcast series and creator of the Get Well Soon and What Celebrities Eat coaching programs, helping people heal themselves with chronic illness and persistent symptoms with food and the power of the mind. As a celebrity nutritional chef and holistic psychologist with nearly two decades of experience, I am so excited to bring you some of the most seasoned professionals in the arena of health and wellness. So please share this podcast with anyone you think would benefit. I have interviews with top name celebrities like nutrition J.J. Virgin on traumatic brain injuries, Chris Wark from Chris Beat Cancer on what everyone needs to know about cancer, and Dr. Kim DeRamo, best-selling author of the Mind Body Toolkit. For anyone that leaves a review this month, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free 30-minute Get Well Soon session with me, plus a downloadable copy of my acclaimed cookbook, Done With Dairy, Giving Up Gluten 14 Days to a Delicious and Healthy You. So please just take a minute out of your day and get the message of our show out to as many listeners as possible and leave a review right here on iTunes. So today I am so excited and honored to introduce you to a colleague in the movement for a healthier world through healing the thyroid and autoimmunity with food, environment, and pharmacology. Dr. Isabella Wentz, PharmD, is a pharmacist who has dedicated herself to addressing the root causes of autoimmune thyroid disease after being diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis in 2009. She is the author of the New York Times best-selling patient guide, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause, and is an ardent champion of incorporating lifestyle change and functional medicine into the treatment out of autoimmune disease. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Meg. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm just thrilled to have you here. Um, now you have had struggles yourself with your thyroid. Um, how, how did your Hashimoto's come about? You know, it's, um, it's kind of funny because I never was very interested in the thyroid during pharmacy school. I was much more interested in other more glamorous conditions. And it wasn't until I was about 27 years old when I was diagnosed mm -hmm. with Hashimoto's myself. And I know you yourself started to have um, some of your health challenges around that same age. Um, yes. For me, I probably think I must have had Hashimoto's most of my life. I'm a Chernobyl child. So mm -hmm. I was born in Poland and lived very close to the Ukrainian border. And around the time um, when I was around four years old, we all know about the, um, you know, Chernobyl nuclear disaster. And so, yeah. Uh, we were just downwind from that. And of course, there are wow. numerous studies that show that thyroid disorders are more prevalent in people who were exposed to Chernobyl. So um, I never, you know, I never was diagnosed during my childhood, although I had some symptoms. So I had some anxiety and I had, um, you know, cold hands and cold feet. Um, I was mm -hmm. pretty small for my age. And um, there were kind of some subtle hints here and there. Um, my mom was actually a pediatrician and she noticed that my thyroid gland was enlarged and took me into an endocrinologist, but you know, I was found to have normal thyroid function. And, and of course mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get into why that's not always um, conclusive. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. Um, but I ended up basically starting, I, I felt pretty good. Most of my life, I struggled with depression and teens and my, um, mm -hmm. in, you know, in my early twenties, um, 
But my real health struggles started when I was a freshman in college and undergrad after a bout of Epstein-Barr virus. And I just found myself just debilitated. I went from this bright-eyed and bushy-tailed college student that wanted to, you know, take over the whole world and um, invent medications to cure diseases to somebody that just was so tired all the time that I spent mm-hmm. 14 hours in bed every day. And oh, geez. I missed a midterm exam because I overslept. And this was just not, not right. me. And I, you know, I had no idea what was going on with me. Um, mm-hmm. So I was told I was depressed. I was told, um, you know, it was all in my head and all kinds of other kinds of answers that didn't really make too much sense to me, but, you know, listen to the doctors because they were doctors and they knew better. And, um, it wasn't until, you know, um, you know, as, as I went on with that, when I was in pharmacy school myself is when I started to really question things and started to really wonder about things. And, and, and then I also had a, a decline in my health as well. So I started having problems with irritable bowel syndrome. And then I ended up with, um, carpal tunnel in both hands. Oh, wow. Hair loss. You know, the fatigue never really resolved. I, you know, I didn't sleep 14 to 16 hours a night, but I needed to sleep like 10 to 12 hours a night. And so, um, you know, I started having panic attacks and it was just like little annoying things that just, uh, you know, it's not like I was dying, but I was just um, not living the life I wanted to live in my 20s. Yeah, no kidding. And again, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I hear this from people all the time um, that have these persistent symptoms that um, it's almost like we're as a culture, we become accustomed, accustomed to them. Like they're, they should be okay. It's not okay to sleep 15 hours, you know, and not be able to get up. Um, Absolutely. And I remember the, this, I kind of laugh at this now and people, people don't believe me. They're like, you're making this up. This isn't a true story, but it is. I went and saw a doctor and told him about my symptoms. And he told me that I was getting older and I was 25 at the time. So, <gasps> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so young. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, people do brush these things off as though they're just natural part of life, a natural part of aging. And I know a lot of moms, you know, of course we have the higher incidence of thyroiditis and thyroid issues postpartum. And so you'll have all of these women who are struggling with their weight. They're struggling with their mood. Um, You know, they don't really know what's going on. Their hair keeps falling out by the handfuls and they go to see their doctor and their doctor's like, well, of course you're tired. You're a mom. And, and no, you know, that's not, um, that's not an excuse. You know, you really need to have a comprehensive workup to see what's going on with you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So with, yeah, with moms, that, that is really scary. I wonder how many different conditions get brushed off as a result of that and get, just get diagnosed later. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And I know, um, postpartum depression, even postpartum psychosis that can be connected to, um, thyroiditis. Um, personally, I had clients and patients who were misdiagnosed. So they were told that they had depression. They were told they had panic attacks, anxiety Mm. disorders, bipolar disorder. I've even seen one, one woman who was hospitalized for psych based on antipsychotic drugs. Oh, that's so sad and scary. It's so sad and scary. And it's, it's a really, you know, it's a really big passion point of mine because, it's um there's such a huge connection between thyroid function and our mood that mm-hmm. not a lot of people even doctors are not aware of this and it's like you know you have this person who is given these heavy duty psychotropic medications like i'm a pharmacist and one of my jobs um that i was hired on to do actually for two of my jobs was to get people off of antipsychotic medications that was like in my job description because 
you know, they're toxic and cause problems and they don't, you know, if, if the underlying root cause of your mood disorder is because your thyroid's not functioning properly, then why are you getting antipsychotic medications or mood stabilizers that have serious side effects? No kidding. I mean, what is it that they're missing this in so many patients? Well, one of the things, and you know, we kind of, I think as women were aware that there's a bias against women in healthcare. So um, women are more often thought to be hypochondriacs. And uh, I think there was a study that spoke to if a woman went to the emergency room with a stomach ache versus a man, um, a man would be seen 40 minutes sooner than a man. And there, there's, of course, the bias that, um, you know, women are making things up or they're exaggerating. Mm-hmm. And, right. Over emotional, all of those kinds of things. Right. Right. And so in some cases, and, you know, this happened to me, I never used to tell people I was a pharmacist. I would just kind of go in and say what my <laughs> symptoms were. And then they were like, oh, honey, it's in your head. Or maybe, you know, just um, take some Benadryl at night, you'll sleep better and so on and so forth. Or, you know, or it's getting yeah. older. And then I started, you know, really playing the pharmacist card and letting them know that I was, um, you know, mm-hmm. had some sort of a background and was educated. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, um, I would actually start getting testing. So, um, you know, I guess one, one part is doctors will often not test thyroid function for, for women who complain, clearly complain of thyroid symptoms. The second point of it is even when they do test for thyroid function, they don't do the right testing. So um, there's a test that's really well known. Um, it's a screening test for thyroid disease. It's known as the TSH test or the thyroid stimulating hormone test. This test Mm -hmm. is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful for people who have had thyroid disease for a very, very long time, and it's very advanced because it'll be Mm. elevated. But in people um, with Hashimoto's or autoimmune thyroid disease, that test may not pick up Hashimoto's for at least a decade in some cases because one, it can fluctuate. (sighs) You know, so one day you might have a high reading, another day you might have a low reading, and another day you might have a normal reading. And I have some lab tests that showed that in my labs, you know, before I was diagnosed. And um, so that's the one issue of it. It may fluctuate with Hashimoto's, you know, the first 10 years or so. So you may not always catch it on a day that it's elevated. The second, wow. Absolutely. And then <laughs> the second part is that the reference ranges were very, very lax until a few years ago. And even now, in my opinion, they're still a little bit too lax. But when they determine the reference mm-hmm. range for what uh, TSH should be for a normal person. They had people in the pool of blood because that's how scientists determine the reference ranges. They take a bunch of people's blood and, you know, see what comes out, right? And (laughs) people that donated the blood or gave the blood, there were some people in there with thyroid disease and undetected thyroid disease. So this reference range was huge. It was that um, TSH of up to 10 was normal. And I'll tell you when my TSH was like 4.5, I felt like a sloth. (laughs) I was like forgetting everything. I was, um, you know, I was sleeping a very long time. Um, My hair was falling out. My skin was very dull. And what people, um, you know, I would say what people have found patients with Hashimoto's and then kind of more of the progressive healthcare professionals is that your TSH Mm -hmm. should be somewhere between 0.5 and 2 to feel best. And I'd say um, somewhere around one is going to be ideal for most people. So um, if you are somebody that is having symptoms like fatigue, cold intolerance, hair loss, um, unexplained pain, um, weight loss or, mm-hmm. an ability, or weight gain or weight loss, um, hair loss, mm-hmm. these are 
potential um, flags that you might have a thyroid condition and you want to ask your doctor to get tested. And you don't just want the TSH test. So of course you want to get Mm -hmm. that test, but you also want to ask for thyroid antibodies. So there's thyroid peroxidase antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies, which will be elevated for many, many years before you see a change in TSH. And um, another thing I always recommend is for women and, and men and every patient to get a copy of their own test results just so that they can verify. Okay. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to this. Um, now you've talked a little bit about some of the symptoms of, of hypothyroidism and um, you know, I know there's hyper and hypo. And I remember reading in your book that you thought you'd had hyper, but you ended up having hypo and then it was eventually Hashimoto's. Can you, can you speak to what the differences are in those three things, hypo, hyper, and Hashimoto's? Of course. So I like to think of, um, hyperthyroidism as basically, um, having an overabundance of thyroid hormone. And when we think about thyroid hormone, what it does is it stimulates our metabolism and it kind of gets things moving within our body. So whenever I think of hyperthyroid, I think of basically um, increased speed. So the person may have palpitations, their heart may beat a little bit faster, they may feel anxious, Um, they may have um, higher turnover of cell of hair, so then they're going to start losing hair, they might have, um, you know, they're going to be sweating, they might have, um, they may feel shaky or have tremors. They may also be losing weight, although some people gain weight. And so those are kind of some of the main symptoms. And some people, they can also have a protrusion of the eyes, which is related to uh, some antibodies um, to those specific cells. Okay. That's that's kind of hyperthyroidism. And primary cause is going to be due to an autoimmune condition called Graves' disease, which basically um, shuts down the communication between the thyroid gland and the pituitary, and this results in too much thyroid hormone being produced. Um, And then, of course, Mm -hmm. if you're over-medicated on thyroid medications, that could potentially cause hyperthyroidism as well. Um, Hypothyroidism is a lack of thyroid hormone. So as the thyroid hormone is kind of our thermometer and basically uh, controls our metabolism, what I like to think of in hypothyroid is a person with a slowed down metabolism. So they're going to be more constipated. They're going to have um, brain fog or slower thinking. They might have depression. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have hair loss because the hair is going to become more dull and it's going to be more in a in a resting phase of growth. So hair hair loss affects both sides, unfortunately. Um, okay. They're going to have duller skin because of slowed down skin turnover. Um, they're going to be fatigued because you know everything's going to be slowed down in the body. And then they're also, um, oftentimes women will say that they will start putting on extra weight or they'll have mm-hmm. uh, difficulty losing weight. Cold intolerance is also a really big symptom, joint pains. Um, you know, there's thousands and thousands of symptoms that have been implicated in, in wow. disorders. Um, but these, the ones that I've mentioned are kind of the most common and classical symptoms. And it would make sense because I mean, the thyroid is a master gland. I mean, it regulates so many things in the body. Absolutely. And affects every cell in the body too. So it's, it's sort of, um, you know, it, it's actually can be difficult for patients as well as doctors to recognize that it's a thyroid condition because the symptoms are kind of nonspecific, right? So if you're anxious, mm-hmm. that can be brushed off as something else. Palpitations can be brushed off as, as something else. So could hair loss, you know, that can result from a vitamin or a mineral deficiency. So it's just mm-hmm. a lot of different, um, um, there's just a lot of different reasons for under diagnosis and misdiagnosis, of course. 
Okay. And now, so what's the difference with Hashimoto's? So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune thyroid condition um, that basically what it means is the immune system has recognized the thyroid gland as an, in, uh, as an enemy, like a bacteria or a virus, and will start mm-hmm. launching an attack against the thyroid gland, leading to the destruction of the thyroid, which eventually leads to hypothyroidism. So Hashimoto's is, is a condition, whereas hypothyroidism is a clinical state. Mm-hmm. And I will say that about 95% of cases, if not more, in the United States and you know all westernized countries um, are going to be due to Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's is what causes hypothyroidism. And, you know, in, okay. in contrast to what, you know, we've seen in our medical books, I know I had this picture of a woman cut in half in one of my medical books that had her hypothyroid on one side and hyper on the other side. And it said, okay, this part of, you know, this half is she's overweight, this half is she's losing weight. And so you kind of had these different symptoms associated with each side. But what's mm-hmm. happening in Hashimoto's is you actually, um, and I, you know, I kind of joke, they say you get the book, you get the best or the worst of both worlds, because you end up with symptoms of both hyperthyroid and hypothyroid, especially in the beginning stages, as thyroid gland is under breakdown and under attack, because this rushes thyroid hormone into your bloodstream. And so you end up having, you know, overactive thyroid, and then that's followed by underactive thyroid. And um, this is known as Hashi toxicosis. And wow. it is something that can happen, especially in the early stages. And, and that's what I was going through. So I had a lot of this, I had symptoms of both. I had brain fog and then mm-hmm. cold intolerance, but I also had palpitations and anxiety. And then okay. I was okay. losing weight. And so it was, I was kind of all over the place. And it was very uh, I see. Very kind of difficult time for me. Um, I know some women have been misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder or panic attacks, mm-hmm. especially you know when they're actually going through Hashi toxicosis. Wow, that is just a scary thing. <laughs> it really is, especially when it is misdiagnosed and then they give you a treatment that isn't the thing that's supportive of your your health and wellness and healing. So, wow, that's very intense. So. Um, you talk about the broken systems in Hashimoto's. What are they? You know, what I've found in people with Hashimoto's, and, and a lot of times people will say, oh, it's a thyroid condition, so we need to go after the thyroid. It's a sluggish thyroid. How do we speed it up? Or, you know, let's take more thyroid medications. And um, certainly, you know, the lack of thyroid hormone is going to be a factor in this. So, we do want to make sure that the person does have enough thyroid hormone on board if they are indeed hypothyroid, uh, but also mm-hmm. really looking at, um, you know, what's going on in the body, because we know that the thyroid gland is not an organ that lives in a vacuum. So it's a huge mm-hmm. intricate feedback mechanism between every cell in our body. And so wow. with Hashimoto's, for example, what I found is that it's oftentimes going to be a combination of food sensitivities nutrient depletions, um, impaired ability to handle stress, impaired ability to get rid of toxins, um, different types of, um, you know, infections may be mm-hmm. present as well as intestinal permeability or leaky gut. And so those are usually the, the main factors that I look for in people with Hashimoto's. And um, in most cases, people have more than one root cause. You'll hear about um, an odd person that maybe just had one type of thing happening. Maybe it was just one food they were sensitive to, or maybe it was just Mm -hmm. one nutrient that they were missing. And then they get on that, uh, get off of that food or get on that nutrient and things really turn around for them. But um, 
And, you know, and that's always wonderful to see that. But in a lot of cases, it's a whole body condition where you do need to address different parts of the system to get yourself well again. And what are some of the major food sensitivities that you see with your patients? You know, um, gluten is a biggie. And um, I first came across that link when I was working as a consultant pharmacist and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And I wanted to know if I could do anything to get myself better other than Mm -hmm. just to take medications. And so I found a study between people with celiac disease and Hashimoto's. And about 20% of them, once they went on a gluten-free diet, saw a remission in their Hashimoto's. And so this is Mm -hmm. a huge, huge link, but it's not just people with celiac disease. It's actually everybody with Hashimoto's. I would say, um, I would venture to say, just about everybody with Hashimoto's is going to be gluten sensitive. So mm-hmm. I recently did a survey with um, 2,232 of my readers. I had been doing surveys like this with clients as well, but obviously um, I had smaller numbers um, of clients that that took the survey and completed the survey. So um, the results were very, very similar though. And 88% of people of readers with Hashimoto's who had tried the gluten-free diet mm-hmm. said that it made them feel better. Mm-hmm. Only three and a half percent of them said that um, they had diagnosed celiac disease. And, you know, these rates are also consistent with what we see in the study. So I think anywhere from one to 15 percent was the reported incidence rate of um, celiac disease in Hashimoto's, depending on what country was studied. So okay. definitely gluten is a biggie. Um and I've found that across the board with um, people that I've worked with, with uh, just any kind of, it seems, any kind of intestinal related chronic disease like irritable bowel syndrome, leaky gut syndrome, that those tend to be related to gluten sensitivities. And dairy is a big, another big one that I see over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. Dairy is the second biggest one. So in my survey results, 80% of people who went dairy-free felt better and I'll have some clients who are actually more dairy sensitive than they are gluten sensitive, um, mm-hmm. but they won't, you know, everybody knows to get off of gluten and then these clients will continue to eating dairy and then I'll start working with them and they'll actually get off of dairy and they'll see a big reduction in their symptoms with thyroid mm-hmm. antibodies. So um, that's probably the, the second biggest one. And then um, looking at soy and grains at mm-hmm. the other types of foods I recommend to um, to withdraw from the diet at least temporarily to see if you can start healing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's so many different problems with the food, (laughs) with our food supply. Um, unfortunately, I mean, do they know in terms of, of, um, thyroiditis, Hashimoto's thyroid problems in general, do, do they have specific links between why those particular foods are causing these problems or? Yeah. So there's a few different kind of, um, schools of thought. And one of them is molecular mimicry that perhaps some of the proteins of the foods may look similar to the thyroid gland. And then when a person has intestinal permeability, which is a factor with everybody in autoimmune disease, according to the latest research, um, you basically get those food proteins of, um, you know, things like gluten and dairy, which are hard to digest. Those might end up in the bloodstream and they get recognized by the immune system. And then the immune system launches an attack against the foods and ergo against the thyroid gland, which looks similar to the foods. Oh, I see. Because that's the whole problem with leaky gut is that every the, the gut's leaking. And so you're getting all of these things into the bloodstream, proteins that shouldn't be there. Um, I see. Well, that makes sense. And then the immune system attacks that. Exactly. 
because it's basically a foreign substance, mm-hmm. but then it's getting perfectly healthy tissue in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's potentially, um, it, it, you know, cross reactivity or uh, molecular mimicry. Those are the immune theories that are thought to be responsible for that. Wow. This is very enlightening, <laughs> all of this. So, um, so what's a good place for people to, to start? When they have thyroid issues, you know, a really good place to start is actually balancing your blood sugar. So one of the really um, common things in people with Hashimoto's is going to be impaired glucose tolerance, um, where they're going to be sensitive to, um, I hate to say it, but sweets and sugar. So and Mm -hmm. that includes carbohydrates because carbohydrates turn into sugar in our body. So reducing your intake of carbohydrates is going to be very, very helpful and in increasing your intake of protein containing foods as well as fat containing foods. So um, I like to recommend things like avocados and salmon, get more of those into your diet. Omega threes in general. I'm sorry, what was that? I said omega threes in general. Oh, huh? yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Omega threes are very, very helpful for the thyroid gland. And just for inflammation in general, which, of course, is um, often at the root cause of many conditions. So um, definitely starting off with that is going to be a great idea. Getting a selenium supplement on board, I recommend 200 micrograms per day of selenium methionine. That's been shown to reduce some thyroid symptoms as well as thyroid antibodies. It can cut them in half by about um, in about three months. So thyroid antibodies are thought to be predictive of how aggressive the condition is. So the higher the amount of antibodies you have found in your blood, the more um, aggressive your condition is thought to be. And I consider a person to be in remission under 100 when those antibodies are under 100, where under 35 is when um, they would not test positive for Hashimoto's by conventional standards. So getting a selenium supplement on board and then also going gluten-free and dairy-free. These are some of the the top three suggestions I would have for people with Hashimoto's um, just to kind of get started to uh, your healing path. And, you know, I've had some clients who just with those interventions, they turned their health around completely. So within three months, they will no longer test positive for Hashimoto's and a lot of their symptoms will go away. Wow. That's that's fascinating. (laughs) So much more support of what I've been talking about for many years about gluten and dairy. Um, sugar, soy, all of those things. So it's just interesting how many conditions that eliminating those things will support, will help us get well. You know, so and absolutely. It's just amazing what a healthy diet can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of the gluten and dairy laden foods too are processed. Um, they're GMOs. They, they've got, you know, multiple types of poisons in them from pesticides and herbicides and processing and all of that. So, you know, that's part of what we're dealing with. So people have to go to eat real food and then they're like, wow, I feel great. (laughs) You know? So are there, are there foods that are supportive of the thyroid? You know, I, the type of diet that I found to be the most helpful um, besides the gluten-free diet is going to be a diet like the paleo diet or the autoimmune paleo diet. And what you do then is basically you have a very nutrient-dense diet. So what that means is that all of your foods are real foods and they're full of nutrients. So you're primarily Mm -hmm. going to be eating um, vegetables and meats. And those are going to be, you know, it it makes sense because those are the the foods our ancestors grew up eating. And 
-hmm. they're going to really fuel your body and help you replenish depleted nutrients. So generally I have um, my clients on those types of foods and, um, some people will say that different foods block thyroid activity, like um, broccoli um, or cauliflower. Some of the, you know, they're known as the goiterogenic vegetables, but mm-hmm. that's not necessarily an issue in Hashimoto's. Um, that, um, you know, I haven't found that to be relevant. And some of the studies done on the goiterogens were were kind of old and poorly designed. So. Oh, I see. That's good to know. Yeah, I've heard that before. People have talked about, you know, I can't have kale. And um, is there a difference between whether you're eating it raw or eating it cooked? Um, So in theory, the goiterogens um, are supposed to have, quote unquote, goiterogenic effects when they're raw and cooking them releases or gets rid of those effects. But um, what goiter, the word goiterogen means, it's kind of, um, I don't really like that word because it's not, doesn't have a clear definition. It basically means it interferes with thyroid function. And there's a few different mechanisms where it could interfere with thyroid function. So, for example, fluoride is considered a goiterogen. But what it does is it destroys thyroid cells. And then, um, you know, soy has an effect on the thyroid peroxidase enzyme. And, um, you know, so that's a different mechanism. Whereas the goiterogenic vegetables, what they do is they block the absorption of iodine into the thyroid gland. And so, you know, back back in the day, you know, in the 1900s, when these studies were done, most cases of hypothyroidism were due to iodine deficiency. So iodine is the building block for thyroid hormones. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a Goldilocks nutrient because you need just the right amount to make enough thyroid hormones. And if you don't have enough on board, you're going to become hypothyroid because, you know, obviously your body won't make have anything to make thyroid hormones out of. But um, what's happened in recent years since... Um, iodine was added to the salt supply in most industrialized countries, we've actually seen that the patterns of hypothyroidism have completely changed and that most causes cases of Hashimoto or hypothyroid are now due to Hashimoto's. And iodine mm-hmm. intake is actually considered to be an environmental trigger. So having too much iodine has been recognized as a trigger for Hashimoto's because if you have too much of it, that can cause oxidative stress in the thyroid gland, especially if you're depleted in other nutrients that need to, you know, if, if you're depleted in antioxidants that neutralize this oxidative stress. And so um, long story short, um, blocking iodine absorption into your thyroid when you have Hashimoto's is not the worst thing because in Hashimoto's, you need to be careful of your iodine intake anyway. Okay. And so, um, you know, I've heard too that with iodine, rich foods like seaweed, for instance, I mean, can you actually overdo it? Um, potentially, unfortunately. So with seaweed, I know it's touted as a health food and, um, and I used to eat a lot of it before I was mm-hmm. uh, actually diagnosed with Hashimoto's and potentially it can. So there have been some documented cases of, um, basically people with like a, you know, really upregulated incidence of thyroid antibodies with the use of, you know, with eating seaweed or kelp. So I, it's one of mm-hmm. those things that I don't recommend for people with um, Hashimoto's or a history okay. of Hashimoto's. I do recommend, you know, obviously for women who are pregnant or breastfeeding that they do take a multivitamin or a prenatal vitamin, mm-hmm. high quality one, of course, with uh, methylfolate um, that does contain iodine because, you know, you definitely do need some of it for proper um, for your own proper thyroid hormone production, as well as for your 
baby's proper development. So, but that dosage is somewhere around 150 micrograms, which is one one thousandth. One microgram is one one thousandth of a milligram. Where, mm, wow. You know, in kelp and in seaweed and in some of these high dose iodine remedies, you might see it in the milligrams. So, like a thousand times more than um, you know what your recommended daily allowance may be. Okay, I see. All right. Um, now with. Um... Now, what there's some people that have ended up having their thyroids removed. What what does this mean for them? I mean, should they be following a specific diet and protocol? And you know, this is a question that comes up very often, and um, I didn't write about it in my own in my first book because it it wasn't my journey. My first book was really about my journey. But uh, what I've seen over the last few years, and you know, this is especially common with women who have had Graves' disease or thyroid cancer where they've had Mm -hmm. um, either radioactive iodine or a thyroidectomy where their thyroid gland is removed, is Mm -hmm. that their thyroid gland gets removed and then they get placed on medications. In some Mm -hmm. cases, they feel better on the medications. In some cases, they don't. Um, And then the other thing that can happen is as time goes on, and since um, they haven't, you know, I I like to think the thyroid gland is kind of a messenger, right? So it Mm -hmm. is, um, our immune system is out of balance and it attacks the thyroid gland. It's not like the thyroid gland is the problem in most cases. So Mm -hmm. what's happening is if a person who has Graves' disease or Hashimoto's or um, another kind of thyroid issue gets their thyroid gland removed, um, but they still have the autoimmune component left, they may go on to develop other types of autoimmune conditions. So I've seen this with developing like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or another, um, you know, type of more debilitating autoimmune condition when they just had their thyroid gland removed and took thyroid medications. And, and, you know, that's, that's kind of scary. And I try to just all the lifestyle things you need to do and make sure whatever triggers you had were, um, you know, whatever triggers you had, you get rid of those. If gluten was a trigger for you, it could have potentially caused the destruction of your thyroid gland. Once your thyroid gland is out, there's other types of organs that your immune system may start attacking. So, you know, uh, really look at the triggers and try to um, eliminate them or or mitigate them if we can. If- yeah, absolutely. Because you don't want to end up getting sicker than you were before you had it removed. You know, it's sort of sort of like a temporary fix of the problem, but it's not going to long term help the the patient, it sounds like. You know, it can help in the short term. And there's, of course, instances when people um, maybe have really advanced cancers where perhaps mm-hmm. removing the thyroid gland is the right choice. But I would always recommend working with, you know, complementary therapies. So looking at what your triggers may have been and trying to address those. And, uh, and there's also different ways to modulate your immune system or balance your immune system. So, um, you know, there's different supplements out there. One of them I like is called ModuCare. Um, it can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And then there's a medication um, called low-dose naltrexone that I really like for people with autoimmune conditions, When, um, especially when they have multiple autoimmune conditions or if we can't identify what their, you know, root causes or triggers were. Because, you know, in some cases we can pinpoint the exact infection or the exact food, um, but some people... Okay. may not always be able to pinpoint exactly what's setting off their immune system. Okay. Now, um, you keep talking about triggers, and we've talked about food. What are some other triggers that you've seen? Um, so I'll kind of tell you some of the unusual ones, because I think people hear about you know gluten all the time. Um, 
-hmm. but like dental infections or sinus infections Mm -hmm. where you have bacteria that's draining into your gut and causing your gut to be permeable, Um, small intestinal Mm -hmm. bacterial overgrowth, and H. pylori infection. H. pylori has some proteins Mm -hmm. on it that are similar to the thyroid gland. Um, And so I found clients who have eradicated those kind of infections have been able to get into remission or at least feel much better. Um, there's a parasite called blastocystis hominis, and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was just me that was finding it because I, um, percentage of people with Hashimoto's. And, um, I find that when we eradicate this parasite, we also see a reduction in thyroid antibodies and symptoms. And it's, um, parasite that has been implicated in irritable bowel syndrome, chronic urticaria, um, which are both mm-hmm. often co-occurring with Hashimoto's. And, mm-hmm. and there's a recent, um, recent case report from some physicians, I believe it was in Romania in 2015, where they actually found um, eradicating a blastocystis infection in a patient with Hashimoto's put that patient into remission. So um, so those are kind of the unusual things that people don't often talk about because they talk about healing with food. But mm-hmm. if you have an infection in your gut that's making your gut leaky all the time, or if you have an infection in your sinuses that's draining into your gut, <laughs> causing it to be leaky, then no matter how good of a diet you're on, your health Mm -hmm. improvements might plateau if your gut is so leaky because you may just become sensitive to the foods that you're eating. And fortunately, this is what happened to me and I kind of had to learn the hard way. So I'm so Mm -hmm. passionate about it now. Yeah, no kidding. And I think a lot of people don't understand that um, they have dental infections. I mean, we hear uh, about root canals and how they don't, off, they don't often clean out the socket as well as they should or um, with wisdom teeth mm-hmm. or teeth pulling and all of that. And there's there's bacteria that's stuck in there that drains down into the digestive tract like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people just aren't even aware of this. So it's not something that you hear from most Western medical doctors. Right. Yeah. People are just, kind of, it's not on their radar. And then I think one, it's not on the radar of Western medical doctors. And then it's often not on the radar of many natural healthcare practitioners or professionals. So then you end up, um, you know, with all these wonderful supplements and with um, wonderful nutrition, but you may not be actually getting to the root cause. Right. Okay. Now I know personally I had um, uh, an oriental medical doctor. He was one of the top in the world that I saw for, um, well, originally it was mixed connective tissue disease that I tested positive for. And then the rheumatologist eventually, uh, as I say, downgraded the diagnosis to fibromyalgia <laughs> and chronic fatigue syndrome, um, uh, because it was, a, you know, it was a pretty nasty diagnosis to have that, mm-hmm. that one. Um, but my oriental medical doctor told me, he said, all autoimmune diseases have chronic infections associated with them which I thought was really interesting. And that had been, you know, from 35 years of practice. Um, And so what he used were um, Chinese herbs that he compounded specifically for me based on tests that he ran. Um, But my point in asking, asking you this is, you know, what do you use when you find, you know, like long-term sinus infections or dental infections and how do you, how do you help the patient with that? You know, it it depends on the person. So I basically, I try to educate them and um, I'll give them assessments that they can do to figure out what their triggers are. Um, I'll have them take some lab testing to figure out what their triggers are. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I'm not a dentist, so I can't examine their teeth. 
Um, but I, sure. I advise for them to work with a, um, with a, with a holistic dentist. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. a little bit more, um, going to be aware of these things to have their teeth examined. And then, you know, I educate them about the different options they have. So in some cases, it's going to be antibiotics if they have like a, a full-blown H. pylori infection that is causing mm-hmm. them a lot of damage. And, you know, that might be their best option for them to work with their doctor on getting, um, you know, seven, 14-day course of antibiotics. In other cases, and this is personally my preference is using more using herbs because they're much more gentle. Um, you do have to take them usually for, you know, at least one to two months for most mm-hmm. kinds of infections. Um, but that's usually my preference is to, to get them on herbs that are going to be targeted to whatever infection they have in an effort to eradicate the infection. That's excellent. That's excellent. I like that. Just using nature to, to heal what's naturally happening in, inside of you. you know? Yeah, and absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I definitely always want to make sure that the patient is in the driver's seat because for some people it may be something that they need to do sooner. Um, um, and I try to kind of work with people wherever they are. And the other thing I really like to do is give people, um, probiotics. So Sarcomyces boulardii is one of my favorites, and that's mm-hmm. going to be helpful for fighting just about any kind of gut infection you have, whether that's H. pylori, whether that's um, Blastocystis hominis or yeast. Um, mm-hmm. The Sarcomyces boulardii is going to help just to, to make a to build up your natural gut defenses and to uh, make a more hospital hospitable environment for your good bacteria and make it less hospital for your you know pathogens. And then where does, I, where, does, where, does, where does one get that? Oh wow, it's available everywhere. But um, I like the Pure Encapsulations brand, so um, I have that on my website thyroidpharmacist.com. And then people can actually get it from you know like a Walgreens. It's available as Flora Store. F L O R A S T O R is the brand name of it. Okay. Oh, okay. And that I usually recommend taking um, one to two twice a day. And you want to build up your dosage as you get used to it, because what the probiotic does is it basically will, um, add, you know, it doesn't colonize your gut tract. It basically works its way out of it. And as it does that, it might bring different types of um, pathogens with it. So it kind of binds them, gets rid of them. But there may be some, um, you know, there may be some changes in bowel function when you start oh, getting on that. So some people might have more bloating or more um, constipation when they first start that. So I always recommend kind of easing into it. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it's a ushering out the bad stuff. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. So where can people learn more about your work? Um, my website is thyroidpharmacist.com and I have a ton of different, um, blogs and information about the various types of root causes and where to start with Hashimoto's. Um, I also have a book called Hashimoto's The Root Cause that can be found on Amazon. My Facebook page is Thyroid Pharmacist Dr. Isabella Wentz that you can connect with me there. And I also have a gift for people that are listening. It's um, my book chapter on nutrient depletions and digestion. So we touched a little bit on nutrient depletions during this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a quick starter diet guide in there as well as some um, really easy recipes that people can just... Um, start working into their routine that are nutrient dense and free of, free of gluten, dairy, and soy. And that's thyroidpharmacist.com slash gift. Okay, great. Oh, thank you. 
Yeah, listeners will love that. Well, it's been so wonderful having you on the show today. I really appreciate this so much. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Meg. It's been such such a wonderful time with you. Yeah, you too. So much amazing information. People are going to be so happy with all of this. So thank you. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast with Dr. Isabella Wentz. And if you have a chronic illness like diabetes, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel syndrome, cancer, autoimmune diseases, or persistent symptoms like migraine headaches, skin rashes, or cough that just won't go away, if you have any of those, I would love to be able to help you get well soon. Just find me on Facebook, message me, join my private wellness community on Facebook called also called Get Well Soon, or check me out at meghayworth.com. And again, please take a moment just to leave a review right here on iTunes for anyone that leaves a review this month, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free 20 minute get well soon session with me, plus a downloadable copy of my acclaimed cookbook done with dairy giving up gluten. So please take that moment to do that. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, food can kill you or food can heal you. The choice is up to you. This is Dr. Meg Hayworth. Thank you for listening. I truly hope that this podcast series will help you get well soon. For more information, go to meghayworth.com to sign up for our email list, get your free copy of five anti-inflammatory on-the-go lunch recipes, and access to our private Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening.